Welcome to Ira's Everything Bagel, where I talk with intriguing people about everything, their passions, pursuits, and points of view. This week, we're going to talk about the relationship between society and tourism. My guest today is Marta Saligo, an Italian sociologist in Las Vegas who teaches sociology of leisure and tourism. She's postdoctoral research faculty at the UNLV International Gaming Institute, and she's also visiting professor with Università de Bergamo. Did I say it right, Marta? Bergamo. Bergamo, as a researcher in the field of cultural studies. She recently received her PhD in sociology. Her thesis was Italianness on the Strip, Stereotypes, Dreams, and Nostalgia in Las Vegas Italian-Themed Attractions. You can follow Marta on Twitter at Soligo underscore Marta and also SOC underscore OF underscore Tourism, and especially on Instagram at Tourist Marta. And Marta, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. This is our second visit. So why do you, I, I don't know if I asked it the first time, but why did you decide to study the sociology of tourism? Because I studied tourism since I was little. You know, in Italy, we have to choose our high school curriculum when we are 13. And already when I was 13, I decided, okay, I'm going to go study in a high school that uh, is specialized in tourism. So I always study tourism. And at some point during my master's in, in Italy, um, I had to basically choose between do I prefer to work in the industry or do I want to be in academia? And at that point, I found out about uh, the sociology of tourism, this really fascinating subject that really is able to connect the industry and also uh, sociological aspects such as tourist behaviors and institutions and organizations. So I fell in love with that. But most people think of tourism on a very shallow basis or very flat basis so that you're going to go visit, let's say, Las Vegas, and you're just going to go to see some of the shows, and you're going to have a buffet, and you're going to do that kind of stuff. But in fact, it's a lot deeper than that. And as you got into the study, what were some of the surprising things you found initially in your study of the sociology of tourism? Not necessarily about Las Vegas, but in general around the world. What I love about tourism is the fact that I consider it as a mirror for society. If you look at how people travel throughout history, you really see the influence on of social changes, social phenomenon on uh, this fascinating topic, which is how people travel. How do they travel? Uh, you see, like throughout history, even I just taught a class on history of leisure here at UNLV. We started from ancient Greece and the Romans, how they used to have fun. And really already you can see how people travel at that time was really a mirror of how society was organized at that time. And we see the same thing today. Uh, more recently, let's look at social media, for example. Big trends in social media are heavily influencing tourism. So always, I love to say that look at how people travel to understand society and look at society to understand how people travel. Of course, each society is different. Each culture is different. So you have Italy, you have United States, all the different countries in the world. Do you see a difference, a major difference between the countries, or do you start to see, because of technology, a more homogenous approach? I think that for sure technology had a big influence 
on how people travel. Let's say in the past 15 years, really things started changing because, you know, before, uh, if you wanted to go on the other side of the world, you had to rely on someone else. Let's say the good old travel agent, the travel agency, tour operators. 15 years ago, we really saw that people started to organize their, their own travel. When we studied tourist experiences, we always say that the tourist experience starts way before they jump on the plane, starts with planning the trip, preparing the trip. Of course, this uh, is related also to other uh, important themes, such as stereotypes. So we know that every culture has stereotypes. So usually when people travel, they have stereotypes on another culture. And this is something we study as sociologists. But for sure, technology helped. And now I'm noticing, for example, more similarities between the two regions that I know the best, Europe and America, right? Uh, tourists are becoming increasingly similar. And also something that makes me very happy is that in the past, leisure and tourism studies were based mainly on Western countries. We had so much literature on Western countries experiences, but now this is also opening and we have really like, we are starting to have more comprehensive tourism studies trends that really analyze tourist behaviors. And they're fascinating. It's really hard to answer your question in the fact that culture cultures are different for sure. So every tourist is different, but also they are becoming increasingly similar. Do you think part of that is because the technology is similar? In this sense, everybody seems to have a smartphone, everybody seems to have a computer, everybody has access to the internet, and so the technology evens things out. So even though, for example, I may not speak Italian and, and I'm in Italy, someone may not speak English, we have similar technology. And in fact, using the technology for translation purposes, you can communicate with anybody anywhere at any time. Absolutely. Technology helps a lot. Technology can be a lifesaver. Also, like think of translation, immediate translation services, right? So that's very important. At the same time, uh, we cannot ignore the role of culture. Every culture, as I told you, like I tell you, as an Italian, one of the main concerns of Italian tourists when they travel is food, right? Are we going to find good food? At least as good as the Italian one that we cook at home, right? So every culture is different. There are other cultures that consider more the religious aspect of the, of the travel, right? So we have this interesting balance, and I think we are in a very interesting moment in history where we can really look forward to seeing what the future will look like. It's interesting you mentioned about food because food is such a big part of tourism. And I mean that in a, in a serious way because whether it's an American going to Italy or an Italian going to America or going to any other country, Americans have always been thought of as being somewhat parochial in that we are looking for food that we're used to when we go to another country. And clearly, if you do that when you go to Italy, as an example, you're missing out on a lot of great food. But I wonder whether that's still the case, that are people willing to experiment more with the culture, which includes food, of another country because of, again, the access to technology and the fact that they can find out more and more about a country? Or do you think it's still the same where some countries just like their food and don't want to experiment with other nations' foods? 
Very interesting question. And I have to say you opened one of the biggest debates in the sociology of tourism, which is authenticity. So on the one hand, we always say that tourists are obsessed with authenticity, right? They want to go to Japan to eat the real sushi. They want to go to Italy to, re to eat the real pasta and pizza. So there is this obsession with authenticity, which is also positive because it means that you want to discover the culture of the place, how the locals live. So that, that's very good. At the same time, the most famous sociologist of tourism, I will say, Eric Cohen, talks about tourists being in an environmental bubble, which is that we have to understand that when tourists travel, they carry their own expectations and also a little bit of fear. You know, you find yourself on the other side of the world and maybe you don't know what to eat. You don't speak the language. You are hungry and you're really tired. And maybe if you see the golden arches of McDonald's, well, you're not that sad, right? So I always laugh about this, about this with, with my students because like next week I will teach a class on authenticity, tourists being obsessed with authenticity. And the next class I'm going to teach, I, I'm going to have a lecture on McDonaldization of society where you can find everywhere Subway and McDonald's, right? Everywhere. And I asked my students, so last week we say this tourists are obsessed with authenticity, but why if they say a Subway on the other side of the world or a uh, McDonald's, well, they are not that unhappy. So it's always like a contrast, which is very it interesting. It is. It's a conundrum in the sense that part of it, I think, and Marta, you may or may not agree, but I think part of it is a, having to do with a comfort level. You want to be able to explore other cultures and other countries, but at the same time, you have to have a comfort level to do that. You can't throw yourself into another culture at 100% because you have to retain some of your own identity in order to be able to experience it, I think. Otherwise, if you throw yourself in, you're going to lose your, or people think they'll lose their bearings. What's interesting here is that uh, for my dissertation, actually, uh, I conducted some interviews uh, with uh, uh, Italian restaurants workers on the strip, uh, among the, the other things. And uh, uh, what's interesting is that everyone is noticing a trend. Uh, all my interviewees mention a trend in terms of education. For example, people visiting Las Vegas right now compared to before have a highest level of education. Some of them already traveled the world and they are more familiar with ethnic food than before. They are more likely to try a food that is not considered as mainstream, you know, or as American or even mainstream Italian. So that's very interesting. As a sociologist, I cannot ignore the, 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 the role of, you know, uh, level of education. Oh, yeah, that's that. important, clearly. When you started to study this, you eventually came to Las Vegas to continue your studies and to teach. How did you decide or why did you decide to come to Las Vegas as opposed to other cities anywhere in the world? I find Las Vegas a very fascinating uh, place. Uh, as I told you, I am a sociologist of tourism, so I really wanted to, uh, to attend a PhD uh, in one of the capitals of tourism, and Las Vegas was a very good option. Also because, as I said, one of my main topics of research is authenticity. 
And there are so many scholars and journalists and people in general that say Las Vegas is fake, inauthentic, not a real city. That was the thing that tell that that made me understand. I want to study that, uh, and I really let's try to look at things in a more interpretive way. That is not just uh, we say in sociology, right? More interpretive. Uh, it's not just uh, let's be uh, have all the critical negative view on Las Vegas, but let's see the city. Let's ask the people and let's see how a tourism capital that is considered inauthentic, it's it's a real city. You know, that was, I was it interested. Is. Well, even going back to the 50s, 60s, into the 70s and possibly the 80s, a lot of people thought that people didn't live in houses or apartments. They lived in the hotels. There was that stereotype. Yes, uh, you can imagine when I tell people I'm atten- I was attending, now I'm done, I was attending a PhD in Las Vegas, everyone was laughing, you know, <laughs> oh, what are you doing? You're gambling all day? No, I'm studying hard, I'm working hard, you know, so yes, I know. Was it hard to study, because your English is very good, I don't know when you first started learning English, maybe as a kid in Italy, but do you find that hard to, especially at a PhD level, to study and to prepare for a PhD when English isn't your first language? First of all, surprisingly, uh, academic language is almost easier for me because several words as a Latin root, like my language, like Italian. So that's very, very interesting, you know, scientific academic language. But all I can say is that if you want to learn a language, you have to go in the place and you have to live with the people. So, you know, it's 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 good that in Europe we have this strong orientation towards like learning other languages, which is really, really good. But until you go, I mean, in the place, you have to go to the place, uh, you have to order your own food, you have to go to the grocery store. And of course, attending a PhD was fundamental. Before it was at UCLA, UNLV wasn't my first experience. I was a visiting scholar at UCLA in Los Angeles two years earlier in 2013. So of course, being surrounded by American students, American professors was, was really good training in terms of language. And somehow you're able to balance both of those worlds in the sense that you retain a clear Italian accent, so you haven't lost that, but your English obviously is is outstanding, so you're able to communicate on a lot of levels, including the academic level. I want to get back to tourism itself and the response by what I would call tourism boards. In Las Vegas, for example, there's the Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority. In other cities, there's various tourism boards or authorities that are involved with the tourism industry. Are they starting to understand the need to integrate the authenticity of their cities with the tourism experience? Yes, absolutely. Yes, it's a key theme. And, you know, it's interesting you asked this question because uh, these are the so-called DMOs, the Destination Management or Marketing Organizations. And during COVID-19, I conducted conducted research with actually a professor in a university in Denmark, and we analyzed how DMOs, these kind of you know, tourism bureaus, tourism offices, were uh, facing COVID-19. And what was interesting is was their, uh, you know, their their 
interest in promoting authenticity. For example, during the lockdown, they were saying, okay, on their website, you cannot come here because there are travel bans in place. But, okay, this is a video of our chef, uh, of, a, of a, I don't know, an Italian chef or a, you know, French chef cooking this dish. Why don't you cook it at home, this authentic, you know, uh, French dish, and when the lockdown is over, you can come here and eat that in France or whatever. So, or they had like interestingly orchestras playing traditional music and they were uploading the videos on their websites. So, yes, this idea of authenticity that we have to be very careful though, because sometimes when authenticity is too much promoted, the risk is that you go in other topics such as nationalism, right? Or superiority of a certain culture on the other. This is the risk that I often found. So authentic, it's good if it helps the local communities and, uh, you know, if it's done in a sustainable way that also respects other cultures because otherwise authenticity is a really, really tricky concept. Isn't also the challenge of authenticity from a tourism promotion point of view that you're dealing with a mass audience, generally speaking, unless you're a small town that you're marketing your tourism in a small town. But if you're a major destination, whether it's New York, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, etc., you're dealing with a mass market. And there's only so much authenticity you can market to a mass market. Not everybody wants the authenticity. So for example, going back to your, your point earlier, somebody coming here Let's just take even Americans coming to Las Vegas, which is where we're both based, and live. If people coming to Las Vegas may not want to partake of an authentic Las Vegas experience, even though there's so many things offered, they may want to just go to the local McDonald's or the McDonald's on the Strip and have a hamburger. So there's that dichotomy between, as you say, being authentic or marketing authenticity and also catering to what would in essence be a mass audience. Yes, you can segment out the market, but generally speaking, we're all catering to a mass audience. Yes, it's it's a very fascinating topic. So there are so many things and so many kinds of tourists here when it comes to authenticity. On the one hand, now you notice this interest, increasing interest in what is called off the beaten path, right? Tourists, for example, there are some tourists that come to Las Vegas to see the art district. Can you imagine Las Vegas? Yes, is developing an art district and maybe, and not, I, I wouldn't say even slowly, but can become an art destination, right? So something different. Um, as I always say, people coming to Italy, especially American tourists, most of them already saw Rome, Florence, and Venice. And now they want to discover the small little towns that no one, the other tourists don't know about, you know? So that's a, a kind of authenticity. The other kind of authenticity is what, what sociologist McKennell defines as stage authenticity. For example, you know, people coming to Italy, they hope to see people playing, singing opera on the street. Well, actually, we don't have it. I'm sorry, but we, we don't have it. No one sings opera on the street or play accordion, right? Regularly, <laughs> we don't have it. But there are some restaurants, for example, that are that target, heavily target tourists that have put, that put up, they, can, they, 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 they create that kind of show. And what it, this is what it's called stage authenticity. So to match tourist expectation without reflecting reality. 
So it's really, really tricky. <laughs> it is. And then to look at it from a sociological perspective, I assume that when you do interviews, you mentioned earlier you were interviewing a lot of the people that worked in some of the uh, Italian restaurants, etc., on this trip. You also, I'm sure, interviewed tourists or visitors as well at some point along the way to get a sense of what they're looking for. Have you been surprised by any, any of those findings of your interviews with visitors that they're looking for something that you didn't expect them to look for? Well, it's very interesting. Um, I study uh, Italian-themed attractions a lot, uh, and it was interesting to see tourist reactions. For example, Italian tourist reactions in front of the Caesars Palace of the Venetian, for example, you know, that they recall our own heritage. It was very interesting, you know, some of them say, you know, it's, it's, it's really well done, actually, you know, it's really well done. We feel like we are in Venice or Florida or, or Rome. Uh, so that, that was very interesting. Others say, no, we don't like it. It's just a big theme park. But actually, again, as I told you, following this trend of scholars and journalists and People, generally speaking, that say who say Las Vegas is, is inauthentic, is not a real city. Well, some tourists even will, will disagree. They find it like a real city. They, you know, if you look at like attractions such as Red, Red Rock Canyon or Mount Charleston are increasingly be, being promoted. Because tourists now are interested also in off-the-strip attractions, you know. And some people they, come to Las Vegas just to go to those areas, not even necessarily visiting the Strip or downtown. And that would, that would be the case in other cities as well, too. Do you start to see, because you're one of those trailblazers in this field, are you starting to see a close collaboration between scholars and those responsible for marketing tourism? Have you been approached by tourism boards or authorities, not necessarily in Las Vegas, but in other cities, to get your insight? Well, in every city, you know, in every city that I saw from Las Vegas to the university in Italy, where I graduated when I work, uh, increasingly there is a collaboration, which is extremely important, you know, because university can really give a lot to, you know, and vice versa. We are researchers, right? We can really gather data, so I'm very happy to see this trend, absolutely, absolutely. Not only concerning marketing, actually, but also other very important topics, such as sustainability, sustainable tourism, the environment, cultural, you know, cultural studies, authenticity. So that, that's very interesting. Is Las Vegas, and I know we're talking about Las Vegas, but really this is a broader topic, but is Las Vegas an atypical city because it's such a, I use this, this term that used to be used a lot, but is no longer used a lot, but I think still applies. Las Vegas seems to be a melting pot. You have so many different kinds of people that live here and visit here. So would this be an atypical city to study for sociological reasons? Well, Las Vegas is really unique from, from a sociological perspective, from a sociology of tourism perspective, also, you know, analyzing. I really, I like to say that I put Las Vegas under the microscope and you really see the role of gambling at the beginning. That was really the main, the main topic, right? The main tourism motivation gambling. But then, then you see all these interesting other, uh, other like markets such as the conventions, right? And then, not right now, nightclubs and cuisine. Las Vegas has some of the best restaurants in the world right now. And what about sports, right? And what about culture? Um, 
you know, and arts. So really, I, I think it's really like a very interesting academic uh, example. And it's unique in that sense. You really like a school. I consider Las Vegas like a school for tourism studies. Or a Petri dish. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, that, in that sense. But yeah. And it's like, uh, I don't know, but I think it's very unique, like also in other contexts, because also when I don't teach at UNLV, but in other parts of the world, I think that Las Vegas is always like an example I have on the blackboard. Yeah, makes sense because Absolutely. it is so unique. <laughs> so you, yeah, yeah. yeah it, it may be the outlier in a sense that compared to other cities that have a typical mm -hmm. tourism approach. Mm -hmm. When you look at, are you? Do you have a book in you about this subject? Yes, yes, yes. Spoiler alert! Yes, probably. <laughs> I hope soon that will be something. So yes, hopefully soon. I can't say too much, but fingers crossed. I think. I can be positive and yes, probably yes. And will it be academic or will it be more for the general public? I will start with academic, but uh, I would really, really love to start to write something soon for the general public to translate also in Italian, as you can imagine, because I would like for my Italian audiences to 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 understand what I'm studying besides the academic jargon. Are the people that you know in Italy, are they surprised that you are studying the sociology of tourism? Does it make sense to them from their perspective? Yes, everyone is surprised that I'm studying the sociology of tourism, because usually is an unknown subject, it's not that popular, but it's so fascinating. And everyone is like, what is the sociology of tourism? And when I explain, you know, what I do, I analyze people's behaviors and, and so on when they travel, everyone is say, says, wow, it's so fascinating, you know, it's interesting. Do you think that this line of study now will get to a point where, and maybe it already is, and I don't know, that's what I'm going to ask, that you'll have an association of scholars dedicated to that? There's an actual organization of scholars that would be getting together and comparing papers and having seminars, etc. That's another project that I have. I would love to create an association of scholars in this sense. It's like one of my dreams. There is already something in other disciplines. For example, the so-called geography of tourism is really sociological. It is, um, it's really interesting. Uh, there are other disciplines that are sociology of leisure is basically sociology of tourism. You know, you have tourism and sports. So there are some association already that do that, but I would love to create one uh, on the sociology of tourism. Yeah, no, I think that would be great. I also think that you mentioned geography. I would imagine that geography impacts sociology. Absolutely. We uh, we cannot say that uh, socio sociology is just pure sociological study. Sociology is, well, I see it, so it's sociology as a, a dialectic discipline is a constant dialogue with between sociology and other disciplines from history to geography, biology, you know. Uh, so I like sociology is a really dynamic field. I, I always apply, you know, um, sociology to other concepts such as marketing and business. I have a master's degree in planning and management. So I like to also explain to my students the most important sociological theories, but also through marketing perspectives or business perspective, uh, history, geography. Yes, I could see how geography would have an impact. If you're a beach community, your sociology would be different than a desert community. 
Absolutely. especially one in the middle of the desert, as Las Vegas is. Well, that's a great way to leave it. My guest has been Marta Soligo. She's an Italian sociologist in Las Vegas. She teaches sociology of leisure and tourism, and she's a postdoctoral research faculty at the UNLV International Gaming Institute. And she's also visiting professor with the Università del Bergamo, I think that was a better pronunciation that time, as a researcher in the field of cultural studies. And she recently received her PhD in sociology as well. And you can follow Marta on Twitter at Soliga underscore Marta and also SOC underscore of underscore tourism, but more importantly on Instagram at Tourist Marta. Marta, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. And join us every Thursday for a new schmear on Ira's Everything Bagel.